Right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Happy Father's Day, Kenyon. There we go. Anyway, good morning, everybody. I like to pick on Kenyon, so. Anyway, it's a uh, special uh, pleasure for me this Father's Day. I practiced this a thousand times. My, my dad is here. I always tear up when I talk about my folks, because they're leaving me on Tuesday and going back to uh, Connecticut, and uh, I kind of want to put off, or I thought of putting off this assignment to teach this morning, because they were going to be here, and I didn't want to take the time away from them to uh, study, because uh, I pretty much do that, obviously, at mornings or nights with work, and Saturday or Friday was at the U.S. Open, so, you know, I had that scheduled, but... Um, one, I thought it'd be neat to have my parents here on Father's Day and be able to bring a message um, because this passage is particularly special to me. Um, as you know, my, my parents encouraged me to memorize lots of scripture growing up. And one of the passages that my dad memorized was the book of 1 Peter. And he probably did that when I was a young teen, maybe, I don't know, uh, 10. We did, we did a lot. So... First, um, he did Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I think, and then Romans 6, 7, and 8, um, the book of First John, the book of James, which was a, kind of a family favorite, um, 1 Corinthians 13, Colossians 3, Revelation 4 and 5, I think, Exodus 20, first chapter or two of Genesis, um, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, the one I never kept pace with him on, though, was First Peter. But I remember him um, as a young boy talking about the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cap Cappadocia, Bithynia, wherever they are. Um, and so I, just I thought it would be neat for them to be here um, as I preach from this book. Uh, I'm making uh, the youth group, in order to get their scholarship uh, points or, or funds for camp, memorize First uh, Peter chapter 1. The only one that's done it so far is Stella. Stella, little Stella. Got a little video of her reciting verses 3 to 9. So way to go, little Stella. Congratulate her on that. But um, anyway, my folks are here. So happy Father's Day, Dad. It's a joy to have you here. Um, but they've been a huge blessing. They've been here for like four weeks. Um, and Rosselli and I have taken advantage of that like every minute of every day. Um, particularly four days, we went off to Washington, D.C., um, you know, it's rare that we have, uh, you know, family babysitters around, so we took that uh, opportunity and um, went off to D.C. Roselli wanted to go to Hawaii, um, but I thought D.C. would be a more romantic getaway. <laughs> um, actually, I have a, a friend of mine who's finishing up a clerkship with uh, Justice Gorsuch, and as two lawyers, I, I, I just had to get us out there before he left at the end of June. And um, so we ditched dad, went out there to D.C., and um, went to the Supreme Court and then did a speaker's tour and stuff. But I saw a friend of mine there <clears throat> that um, I spent almost every Sunday night with during my time in Alabama. Those of you who have known me a long time know I was here for a while and then bounced to Alabama for two years. Um, saw Lori. I think Lori was the only one in this crowd who uh, saw me in my Alabama days out there. But uh, there was this uh, couple that I met, and they 
invited me into their home every Sunday, and they're just kind of my, my Alabama family, but uh, he took a job with a polling company up in D.C., and so while we were there, I took the opportunity to introduce uh, them to Rosselli. And while we were there, he asked me what I thought about UFOs. And I was like, well, I mean, I suppose they're something. I don't know. There have been enough sightings. I, don't, I can't tell you what they are, but like, I don't really believe in extraterrestrial life. It's just, you know, they're probably strange occurrences. We'll see. Um, he's like, yeah, I don't know. And we ta- started talking about the possibility that there's some sort of life out there and what that would do to the Christian worldview. But uh, Rosselli was really weirded out by that because for the, like, ever since then, she's been talking about, Paul has this friend who believes in UFOs and questions the company in which I keep. But the day we were flying back from D.C., I'm on the airplane and I read this article. Crashed Las Vegas UFO witness terrified by eight-foot creatures in his backyard. 100% not human. It's on the internet. It's true. So um, we read a tall, skinny alien creature with greenish color that was uh, about eight to ten feet tall was reportedly hiding behind a forklift in a Las Vegas family's backyard after a potential UFO crashed overnight April 30th or May 1st. I looked at, uh, at it in the eyes and my body just froze having sleep paralysis. A witness who didn't give his name said in a YouTube video, he had a weird-looking face, big feet, and big, shiny eyes, and a big mouth. I could hear its loud, deep breathing, and his stomach kept moving. He would just stare at me, and seconds later, I could move again. He called 911 at 12.25 a.m. on May 1st and told the dispatcher that large creatures were in his backyard. They're not human. 100%, they're not human, he told the 911 dispatcher in an audio recording. I swear to God, it's not a joke. It's actually real. Las Vegas police followed up on the call after a different officer's body cam, dated April 30th, captured a glowing green light streak across the sky from the top right corner until it appeared to crash and disappear in the distance. At least 21 people across eastern California, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah reported seeing the glowing green light, according to the American Meteor Society. A witness um, who was seen responding in the officer's body cam told his story in a YouTube video under a username, Alien Society 51, a credible source, no doubt, and shared pieces of the body cam footage, a neighbor's doorbell camera that captured the loud bang and aftershock in a picture of a perfect circle in his backyard reportedly left behind the aircraft. Um, the dispatcher clarified what the emergency was called about. He said, there's two people, there's actually two subjects in your backyard. Correct, and they're very large. They're like eight foot, nine feet, ten foot, I don't know. They look like aliens to us, the caller said. Big eyes, they have big eyes, like I can't explain it, and a big mouth. They're shiny eyes, and they're not human. They're 100 percent, they're not human. Well, I don't know if we have to worry about the aliens coming to Bakersfield. They seem to like Vegas more than Bakersfield. But this uh, article made me think of our passage today, in our study of uh, 1 Peter, um, which I am sat in last week, but normally I'm with the, uh, the young people in, the, uh, in our foundations class. But 1 Peter is essentially a primer on living as a resident alien in exile here on earth. People should see our conduct and think they're not human. 100% they're not human. They should think that we're not of this world, as we see that uh, NOTW bumper sticker on cars. So uh, in the past couple weeks, 
we've seen that Peter's writing this to, ex, to Christian exiles living in a, um, a different world, that they are um, now citizens of heaven following their salvation, that they have a loyalty to a sovereign that is not here on earth, and that they are to live accordingly. We'll see in our passage today that Peter begins to instruct his readers how they're supposed to live now that they're citizens of a different land. Now that their citizenship is in heaven, how then should they conduct themselves while here on earth? We'll see that resident aliens living in exile first set their hope fully on their future inheritance, two, that they pursue holiness in all their conduct, and three, that they fear God rather than man while in exile. That is, they should live in a way that makes people think they're not human, 100%. They're not human. And I forgot my Bible. That's kind of the most important part. There we go. So let's uh, turn in your Bibles, if you, uh, if you will, with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our passage is verse, uh, verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 21. Follow along with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to focus our minds on you. Help us to learn how to live as resident aliens in this world, Lord. Help us to keep our conduct among the Gentiles pure, so that though they may have evil to say about us, they may be ashamed. And I just pray that you'd uh, give me wisdom as we expound upon your word. In Christ's name, amen. So first we see that exiles, resident aliens living in exile, set their hope fully on their future inheritance. We see that in verse 13. It says, Peter says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the completion of our salvation that he talks about in verses um, 3 through 9. It says that we've been born again to... Uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, um, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this uh, you rejoice, though now for a season uh, you deal with various trials, and then bounce down to verse 9, uh, verse 8, though you do not see him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice in hope a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attain the alchemy of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So uh, Peter is here now directing them from the salvation, saying, hey, it's not fully realized. You have a future inheritance that is secure in heaven for you. And so he's going to be calling his readers to live in light of that fact. 
that if, if we aren't citizens of this world, if we truly are citizens of heaven, if we're these, here in this resident alien status, that we should probably live and act differently than those that are around us. There should be a change in conduct according with our new identity. Throughout Scripture, we always see that God's commands are rooted in grace. First, he changes us, then he expects our conduct to change in light of that grace and not the other way around. We don't change our conduct and get God's grace. God changes us, and then we act upon that new, uh, that new identity, that new citizenship here in 1 Peter. You can think of it as that the uh, indicative is always the basis of the imperative. So first God changes us, and then, and then we, we act thereupon. So Peter um, says that we, we set our hope fully in our future inheritance by doing two things. Um, first, uh, we see that uh, it's, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Literal translation of that is kind of a weird uh, wording. It's girding up the loins of your mind, which is kind of uh, something I'm sure most of you don't do. Um, I, I mentioned uh, to Jacob uh, Jordan as he was walking to Sunday school last week um, he had a bunch of like shepherd's gear or some sort. He was, I think he was in character last week. Um, anyway, I told him, uh, mentioned something about like hiking up his, his uh, garments or something, and he was like, oh, girding up your loins. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm preaching on that next week. I'm glad you knew what it, uh, what, uh, what it means. Um, but it's not something we think of uh, every day, but it's a reference you may be familiar with back to the Passover in Exodus when God told the Israelites as they were eating the dinner, they're supposed to have their shoes on and be ready to go, um, and they were supposed to have their loins girded, which kind of meant tucking in their garments in their belt so that they are ready to move quickly. And so we have this in uh, the ESV tr uh, translated as preparing your minds for action, something we understand a little better than girding up the loins of your mind. But it's a, it's a call to have disciplined thinking that prepares us for action. So if our hope is set on Christ and our future inheritance and the completion of our sanctification, how then should we live? What do we need to do? How should we change in light of the grace that we've experienced? So Peter first telling him, hey, you, you, uh, his audience, that you set your hope fully by uh, preparing your mind for action, but also by being sober-minded. That is, your senses are not dulled. That you don't forget um, your former identity from once you've came, and you don't forget about who you are. Um, Christ Christianity is not merely a one-time ascent to the truths of Scripture and an appreciation for them, but is a continual reliance upon God's grace in our lives and working out from that. So how do we, how do we um, avoid uh, being uh, drunk? How do we maintain sober-mindedness? And we, we do that by... Uh, participating in the usual means of grace and by reading scripture, by listening to music, that reminds us of who we are, reminds us of God's work in our lives. That's why uh, the songs we'll sing about and worship are probably not new novel thoughts, the reminders of what God has done for us, and we worship him and commit our, um, our lives to him in light of that fact. So we set our hope fully by preparing ourselves to change our conduct and then um, it's living continually in that, not never, never um, becoming complacent or callous to the fact that we were sinners saved by grace, that we have a living hope that is secured in heaven for us. So first, um, resident aliens living as exiles set their hope fully on the grace to come by or their future inheritance 
by uh, being sober-minded and by having their minds prepared for action. But if we look at verses uh, 14 through 16, we'll see that exiles also pursue holiness in all their conduct. Read with me, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. With their minds prepared for action, the exiles are now to do something about it. As a child of God, um, we are called to obey him. I appreciate this, especially on Father's Day, that um, our father here um, is, is one to be obeyed. As obe- he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your formal former ignorance. That is, now that you know Christ, now that you know that you've been redeemed, don't be um, conformed. You change your conduct. Those things that used to drive you shouldn't drive you anymore. I love that old, uh, that old uh, Sunday school song, the things I used to do. I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. That we no longer are driven by that, but that we have a new master. We have a new king, and we should be driven to obey him. Um, if we look uh, at verse 13, uh, it says, um, as obedient children do not be conformed, or 14 rather, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. There's a negative and a positive command here. So we put off uh, what we used to do, and now we're called to put on new things. Colossians 3 has that really uh, spelled out clearly. You put off all these characteristics, and you put on these new characteristics. Just like Training our kids, right? We, we tell them not to do things, and we tell them to do things. Often it's the same thing in different contexts. Put that in your mouth, but don't put that in your mouth. Uh, you know, sit, sit on your rear end. Don't sit on your rear end. Stand up, sit down, uh, wake up, go to sleep. I mean, right, there's, there's negative and positive commands, and as Christians, we've got to remember that we're not just putting on new conduct, but there's things we used to do, there's patterns of life we used to live in that we are called to put off that it's, it's a complete transformation of who we were to who we should be. So we have the negative of do not be conformed to the passions of your formal ignorance. Um, if you want to see what some of those things are, look at chapter uh, 2, verse 1. It gives you a, a good starting place. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy uh, and, envy and all slander. Um, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that my, by it you may grow up into your salvation. So there's this process of putting off and this process of putting on Christ's character. And one of the, one of the uh, risks of living as exiles in this world is that we're around a lot of people um, who don't share our loyalties, and we can be tempted to continue to be conformed to the things they care about and the things we used to care about. Um, our conduct often uh, mimics that of those around us. Uh, when I was in Minnesota, I learned to say, oofta. Um, when, when something bad happens, you say, oofta, or it's surprising. But Wisconsin people might, I don't know if you, we don't have bubblers over in Minnesota. I don't know if you have oofta over in Wisconsin. But uh, Daniel um, uh, Shabilsky, not Daniel Shabilsky, Harry Shabilsky showed up at uh, youth group one night with a big oofta t-shirt, and I was very proud of him. That uh, even some of the uh, my lead, uh, youth uh, leaders will now say oofta when, when something bad happens because they've hung out with me who hang out, hung out with a bunch of Swedes and Norwegians for a while. We also put on like strong accents when we're around people. We um, begin to talk like the people that are around us. We use their, 
Um, I, I roll, my, roll my R's a lot more now that I've met Rosselli, right? <laughs> and even in preparing for today's uh, message, I listen to Alistair Begg a lot. And so uh, I began to say things like, get up the loins of your mind. <laughs> but we, we, we get tempted at living as exiles to be like the people we're around. And God's calling us out of that to no longer be conformed to that, but he's going to give us a new standard, a new person to be conformed to um, in verses Uh, 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we see that the Christian life is not passive. It's just not a matter of giving up things. It's a matter of putting on God's character. Holy conduct is that which is separated from evil and devoted to good. Um, The lesson I learned from my parents is that God's word has something to say about every area of life. Sorry, I missed my folks. But it's, it's not just something we do on Sunday that's part of some r- a religious rite, but it applies to the music we listen to, the, to the way we dress, to the, the jokes we talk about, to how I treat my employees, how I used to treat my employers. It, it um, even affects the way I drive. Um, one thing they, we never had a Christian fish on our car. Um, because uh, one of the things was like, I, I would be worried that I would do something that would defame, like maybe I cut someone off and they're having a bad day and they blame it on those Christians for cutting them off. Maybe you do. That's good. Just be careful the way you drive because you're known as a Christian, but it affects the way I drive. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a traffic defense attorney, as you know, and so sometimes I, I talk to my officers and, you know, I'm friends, and one of the things I say is like, hey, I teach my youth group to drive in a way where if they don't see you and they drive past you, they don't have to worry about being pulled over. And I t- also tell them, when, when, when you're driving, be courteous to those around you. And it's just like a, a, a random way of applying God's scripture to our lives, that it changes every aspect of our, of our lives. So when he says, be holy in all of your conduct, he's leaving nothing out. Peter's going to go through um, many different things in the uh, uh, in the rest of the book, telling us how to live um, as exiles and treat civil government. How do we treat uh, employers? How do we treat our spouses? How do we treat each other in the church? Those are just representative of every area of our, of our lives that God is calling us to live uh, in holiness to. But it's not just an abstract uh, standard that he calls us to. Notice uh, in the end of verse 16, he says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy is rooted in the nature of God, that his children are supposed to like him, or look like him. They're also supposed to like him. Um, my kids, the same thing. So uh, if, you got, if you're around Talia, she'll often say, uh, she'll copy the things I say. She'll say, that's not good. Or uh, James made a big mess. And my favorite, um, James, obey mommy and daddy in the Lord. <laughs> Which James quoted for me, I think the first time this morning. He kind of... Uh, was talking about it uh, this morning. He made, he made out something about obey and Lord at the end. So, but our, our, our children, we like it when our children look like us, and we should look like our Father. It's our, this call to holiness is rooted in his character as, um, as who he is. So as residents aliens living in exile, we should uh, live so much as a citizen in heaven that people should think we're not from here. They should think that we look like our Father in heaven. 
Um, third, we see that resident aliens live in exile in the fear of God rather than man. If you, uh, we'll see this in verses 17 um, and following. Follow along with me. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That if there is not a conditional statement, it's like saying, if you call on him as father, and you do, or you could think of it as since. Since you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Our heavenly father is also our, um, the judge. Um, those are two positions, father and judge, that command respect and demand um, obedience. And they also, in a sense, instill fear in us. Um, you'll see that obedience is a consistent theme here in First Peter. Uh, he starts off the, the whole basis of the book. He's writing to the exiles um, who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We also see that um, in verse 14 where we, uh, that we just saw that we're as obedient children, and now he's calling us in verse, 20, uh, in verse 17, that if we call on him as father, that we're supposed to conduct ourselves with fear in this, in this obedience. And, and, and it follows up. Uh, next week, we'll see that um, having purified our, our souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, we're to love one another. So obedience to God's commands um, is, is something that should, or the, the requirement is something that should instill a reverent fear in us. Uh, similar to what we, what we see in Proverbs, with the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, um, that there's this reverent awe and that we, we desire to see life from God's frame of reference. I like that definition of wisdom. Uh, it's seeing life how God sees it or seeing life from God's frame of reference. And when we do, when we're mindful of that fact, when we're sober-minded and continually living in, with, um, in acknowledgement of that, it should change our conduct. It should, it should, it should instill a little bit of fear um, knowing that God is watching and that oh, we are accountable to him. Notice what it says, um, according to each one's deeds. God's uh, observance of us is not, is, or it is individual. It's not collective or, or in our modern vernacular, some sort of social justice. It's an individual justice that we stand before. And, and, and we're supposed to live in this fear throughout the time of our exile, if you notice at the end of verse 17. The problem is that we live in a world that doesn't recognize God as either their father or their judge, and we become tempted to fear men rather than fear him, because Peter's about to warn them that life as an exile can be challenging at times. He, he, he referenced that, as, uh, that actually earlier in the chapter uh, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We see that some of the trials in chapter 2, verse 11, if you flip over a page or two, it says, I urge you um, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. After telling us how to do so in various contexts in chapter 4, he continues on in verse 15 
um, or 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God um, in that name. So the, 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 the risk is, is that while we are here in exiles, we will, we will not be sober-minded, that we'll not remember who we are and to who our king is, but that we'll begin to fear man rather than God. And uh, as we know from Scripture, the fear of man works not the righteousness of God. When we're worried about what each other thinks and less worried about what God thinks, then we get into trouble. Uh, you might remember, um, nice things talking about to the adults, is that a lot of you guys will remember the WWJD fad, which few of my teens actually remember. Um, I don't know, that was early 2000s, maybe late 90s, you got the wristbands and the necklaces and the weird beads and stuff like that. But WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's actually um, derived ultimately from the book of 1 Peter. First, it came directly from the novel In His Steps. Any, who's read In His Steps? Ah, a few. Okay. It's like one of the, um, of the best, uh, I think, Christian novels of, or, or sellers, all-time bestsellers. Um, and it's basically set in a little country town, and there's something dramatic that happens in church. And someone dies in the front of church, and um, a bunch of people, a bunch of characters in the book all commit to um, ask themselves, what would Jesus do uh, in various contexts before they make any decision in their careers or their personal lives? And it follows people from various social statuses and professions. But um, it asks the question, what would Jesus do? And that is um, derived from 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verse, tw um, verse uh, 21 and following. They're talking about uh, suffering for doing right. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps, which is the title of the book. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, but when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but, this relates to our passage today, but continued in trust in himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So that WWJD thing is asking yourself, what would Jesus do? How do we follow in his steps? And even though it's tough, our minds need to be prepared for action by entrusting ourselves, as Christ did, to him that judges justly. Because there's this fear, but also this comfort in our Father being, being the judge. If he's judging justly, and we um, are walking in fear of him and not of man, and we're doing right, that we can endure the per persecution that Peter's about to describe. We can endure those temptations. We can live as resident aliens well among people that don't share our values because we know that ultimately God judges justly, and we can entrust ourselves and our lives to him. So it's not just and not a trembling fear, but rather we can have great confidence in trusting our righteous judge. Look at verses eight, uh, 18 and following. It says, knowing, so you conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so part of uh, preparing our minds for action is, is knowing biblical doctrine, biblical truth, and knowing we can walk confidently because we know that we were redeemed um, by God himself and not through our own actions. It says it was not from uh, the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers or our, our vain deeds or acts. We don't, uh, can't earn our, our uh, salvation. We can't atone for our sins. Nothing that we can do satisfies but there's comfort because we don't rely on, upon ourselves. We are secure because we're um, not purchased or redeemed with perishable things, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. So we are secure. We know our judge will judge us righteously. We know that we will come out from that because we have been saved, we have been redeemed, um, and we have been ransomed, so we don't have to fear the judge because our penalty has been paid. And when we can walk in that, and we have that confidence that we can serve him. So this fear that we walk in as exiles in verse 17 is, is really exercising our, our, our walking in holiness in respect of God and knowing that he's in our, on our side, that we can trust him, that when we don't see how what he's told us to do makes sense. We can't, when we can't see the big picture, we can trust in his character and uh, because he is holy and we should be too. And so when you can't see the end, when you're getting fed to the, uh, the lions or, or uh, crucified upside down as Peter ultimately is, that he can entrust himself who judges justly and in his character. And, and, we, and we're reminded that it's, it's not something that Jesus didn't face himself, that he was, we were ransomed with his blood, that he too trusted um, in God's plan, that he too um, endured suffering at a time um, for ultimately for the glory that should be revealed. And so we follow in his steps, just like the end of verse uh, chapter 2, when we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly, he himself... What comfort do we have that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by him you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. It's not a harsh God that is uh, condemning us and demanding that we live according to a, uh, a code of conduct. He's just saying, hey, do what I did. When you suffer for righteousness sake, um, keep your faith in God Continue to walk in a holy manner. Live as a resident alien um, in exile on this earth. But uh, keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak of you of evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. We don't always see the ultimate end. And that's why trusting in the character of God, it's important to see that God's commands are based in who he is. And so when we can't see it, we can rest in that, in his faithfulness. So we uh, see at the end of the, end of the chapter, Peter, uh, Peter's going to return us to the grace that is the basis for his work in our lives, his base, the basis for the renewed mind and, and for the holy conduct. He says, hey, this, this Lamb of God that was slain, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for you, for, or for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
if our faith and hope were, not, uh, were in ourselves, we would be, as it uh, says in verse uh, 18, it would be futile. We um, have this former ignorance that everything we would be doing is in vain. We'd have no security. We'd have no, uh, no confidence. We'd be tempted to follow the opinions of those around us. We'd be tempted to, keep our, to have our eyes off God, to have the fear of man rather than of him. But because Christ was the perfect sacrifice, because this was all part of God's plan, that we know that whatever happens is also going to be part of God's uh, plan, and we can rest in him. We can rest in the holy God who is also a righteous judge. And that's where our confidence lands, that as resident aliens living in exile, we can set our hope fully on our future inheritance, pursuing holiness in all of our conduct, in awe and reverence of our king, who ransomed us according to his eternal plan. We can live holy lives. We can pursue holy lives together because of what Jesus did in our lives and what he is going to do uh, when he returns or we go to him. So let's commit to doing that together. Let's keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that though they may speak against us as evildoers, they may see our conduct and glorify God. I hope that when they see us, they see we, they are not human, 100%. They are not human. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for um, your word. Thank you for um, saving us by your grace. Thank you that it's all part of your plan, not just a, a cosmic accident that you had to figure out when Adam and Eve messed things up in the garden, Lord. We thank you that Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, our perfect lamb, that he ransomed us, that he paid the penalty on our behalf so we no longer have to tremble before the judge, but that we can follow your example, we can follow your character, your holiness, and entrust ourselves to him that judges justly. Help us to walk as resident aliens here in Bakersfield in exile, Lord, and we look forward to your return. Help us to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.